people study Rockefeller habits. He talks about execution. And we very specifically say strategic execution because what you work on matters and what you don't work on matters, right? And we all have 24 hours in a day. And from what the individual business owner works on to what the business works on and focuses on either accelerates growth or takes away from it, right? Hello, and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isar Metis, your host. And the person you're listening to is Pete Martin. Pete is the CEO and the founder of Ask My Board. It's a group of CEOs of serial entrepreneurs who together had exits of over half a billion dollars with a B. And today they help companies arrange their processes and operations in order to be a more effective business and in many cases, double their valuation for an exit in 12 months. So if you want to learn their catapult method that they've developed in order to help companies achieve that, stay tuned. You're in for an amazing educational session that can really help you understand how to look at your business and make it more profitable. Growing a business is tough. Believe me, I know. I'm a serial entrepreneur with three startups behind me. One went public, the second busted because of bad decisions by the CEO. That was me, by the way. And the third grew to $100 million in sales as part of a larger company that got sold. It took me 20 years to learn how to do it right, but now I'm on a quest to get you there much faster. I'm hosting senior business leaders, entrepreneurs, and world-class experts. Together, we search for gold, strategies, systems, processes, and practical tips that you can implement to grow your business. You will hear fascinating business stories, really funny moments, and lots of actionable business tips. Welcome to the Business Growth Accelerator. Hello, and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isaria Host, and I have a really special guest for you today. It's going to be an amazing conversation. My guest is Pete Martin, and he's a highly successful serial entrepreneur. He's a sought-after business coach. He's an author. He's a speaker. His current company uh, is called Votum, which is kind of like misspelling of Votum. <laughs> which is developing a blockchain-based uh, secure voting platform, which is something that is very interesting, but it's not what we're going to talk about. He's also the founder and the CEO of Ask My Board, which is a company that helps other businesses and entrepreneurs grow faster and, as importantly, achieve higher valuations for their exit strategy. So if you're in any business, you should have an exit strategy, whether short-term or long-term. And talking to somebody who is able to help multiple businesses double their valuation in 12 months is very exciting to me and hopefully to you as well. So Pete, I'm truly, truly excited to have you as a guest of the show. Welcome to the Business Growth Accelerator. Thank you so much. I'm super honored and excited uh, to be on the show. And I think this will be a lot of fun and hopefully a lot of value for your listeners. I know it will, both fun and a lot of value. So I said you're a serial entrepreneur and you did a few things. Can you share with us quickly what's your professional background? What brought you to what you're doing today? 
Yeah. So I, I think I'm genetically encoded as a entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. My brother is. And so I don't think I really had a choice. So <laughs> you didn't um, want to be the black sheep of the family. Right. right exactly. Right. <laughs> they would have beat me up. And so I started up my entrepreneurial career doing car leasing when I was 18 years old. So I went to college for one semester. I did horribly. So I dropped out, started up this car leasing firm. And that's a long story I won't get into. And then at some point, something clicked and I just said, this is not what I want to do. And, and really the tax laws had changed at that point. And so everybody was getting into car leasing at that point. So I was fortunately able to sell that franchise to another franchisee. And then I went back to school, got my bachelor's and MBA in three and a half years, and then went completely the opposite direction and started working for IBM. So, you know, from kind of the solopreneur leasing to working for the world's biggest company at that point. It was kind of an interesting transition for me. I'm sure. And then did that and then worked for SAP and executive management and then have started three, well, five companies since then, two which are still active, which you mentioned, and then sold three of those businesses beforehand. So I've, you know, started and scaled six businesses, four out of four I've been able to successfully sell. So that's how I kind of got into this. That's a pretty remarkable track record for, <laughs> for any entrepreneur. So what is exactly Ask My Board and how did you get to found that and with who? Yeah. So Ask My Board. So, you know, small business owners and entrepreneurs, people that are running companies, it, it's a very lonely space. And they, when they're looking for advice and counsel from people, you know, there's just so much noise and there's so much information and advice for lots of people. And do this, don't do that. And it's a tactic of the day. And I know in growing my businesses, um, I had difficulty really finding people that I felt truly were on my side. You know, they had my back from a strategic perspective. They weren't just trying to make money and they weren't talking about the tactic of the day. You know, there was these strategic frameworks that I could apply to my business and, and help it grow. And so that's what Ask My Board is all about. And we have, we have two client bases. We have clients that are really looking for a growth strategy to, to grow the firm. Either they're stuck at a certain level or they need to kind of go on to that next level of growth and next phase of growth in the business, or they specifically have an exit strategy in mind and they want to, they need to get to that, to their number, if you will. And there's a big intersection between the two. And a lot of clients who just want to focus on the growth we talked to them about, look, you know, kind of start with the end in mind. And the end in mind might be 10 years from now, might be 20 years from now, or might be five years from now, but you don't want to be in a position where you have to sell for whatever reason, right? And you're, you're ill-prepared. If you just create a thriving, culturally rich, profitable business, you have lots more options. And so that's really kind of the, the, the focus of what we do. And this really came about from me talking to hundreds of CEOs over really a decade or so and doing it informally or sitting on advisory boards and boards of directors, but never really creating some structure around it. So really a year ago, we started creating some structure around it with a couple of other founders that collectively we've sold about a half a billion dollars worth of companies between us and just kind of sat around talking about, you know, my God, how can we help other people kind of get this right? And so that's that was the genesis of Ask My Board. Amazing. And and. In what capacity do you do it? Do you like, is this a consulting service? Do you come as fractional something CMOs, you know, CFOs, or how, how does it exactly work? 
Yeah, so so kind of depending on what the, the need of the business is, for companies that are a bit smaller, under a million in revenue, we have a bunch of self-service lessons and some tools that they can, we have these what we call micro lessons. So, you know, most business owners just are very impatient and don't have a lot of time and are busy. So these no. micro lessons can be, Me? you know, 10 <laughs> to 15 minutes in length. And then there's a specific tool set that we have that they can take that learning and literally apply it to their business. And, and you know, it's, it's a self-service model, if you will. We then do masterminds with groups that are a little bit bigger. And the great thing about that is, you know, there's a lot of input from um, other business owners and it, you know, and so we take the same kind of lessons and we take the same tool sets and then we apply it as a group. And then there's just ton of learn tons of learning to come out of that. And then for people that want the one-on-one coaching, they've, they've got a very specific exit plan or they're a little bit bigger and they really want some help to take them to the next level. We'll, we'll do one-on-one coaching in that regard. Amazing. So, so you really cater to different levels of people with different products. Correct. Exactly. So let's talk about what is it that you teach? You said that there's a very clear system that you apply. What is that system and how exactly that is, does it work? And really, I want to try to make it as practical as possible as if I'm taking your one-to-one training in a very condensed kind of way in 15, 20 minutes. Yep. So so we focus on, so our method is called the catapult method, right? Which is, if you think about a catapult as, as a device, it's all about leverage, right? And, you know, you put the, put the rocks in the, in the pedal and you kind of crank the thing down and you get incredible leverage. And it was really the, the weapon of choice for hundreds of years, right? So we kind of borrowed that concept and it's all about leverage. And so we, the thing that we leverage is these things called these four pillars, now we call them four pillars of power. And it, it sounds a little bit like Rockefeller habits from in terms of the four categories, but it applies to every business. And the four pillars are team, customers, capital, and strategic execution. And I think what makes us different in terms of those four categories versus other methodologies is there is what we call these maturity cycles in each one of those four pillars. And each one of them provides a lever point for the other lever point and and each one of them provides levers for each other. And I'll, I'll kind of give you some examples as we get into this, but okay. the output and the outcome of those of working on those four pillars in a very strategic fashion, in a very methodical fashion, which is the methodology of the catapult method, it drives the eight drivers of value. It drives up the eight drivers of value. So if you have an exit strategy, we start with, all right, what's your number? We do a formal valuation on the business and see if there's a gap, right? And if there's a gap, that then informs specifically how we're going to, going to work through the catapult method to make sure that we can get the, the business to the level that the business owner needs to, to go get an exit, right? Even if there's no exit, we go through the same methodology because the things that make a business very valuable also happens to create a very cultural-rich, profitable, fast-growing business, right? There, there's really just tons of intersections there. And so I want to pause you for a second and ask a weird question. Do you have yeah. cases where it's the other way around where people undervalue their, their real value of their business, or it's always like, I need 20 million and you actually think he's worth seven. I, I I'm sure that has existed. I have not found a business yet where a business owner, you know, said, Hey, I think it's worth 10. And we're like, no, it's worth 20. That would be a great, happy business owner, but I haven't found that yet. You know, usually it's, I think it's worth X and you go do a formal valuation and it's something less than that typically. 
Okay. So let's go through the process. Let's really go step-by-step on on those four pillars. You said customers, team, capital, and strategic execution. You got it. What are the steps in each one that I need to kind of look for and what in each one of them helps me leverage the other ones? Yep. <clears throat> so let's, let's start with team. And, and to us, it's the most important. And, and you know, if, if you read uh, Good to Great or any of Jim Collins' books, right, he focuses a lot on, on this too. And, and his, note, his, his mess, key message is, which we believe is, you can have a great team and a bad strategy and you can figure it out, right? You can't take a good strategy with a bad team and execute and get it right, right? That's where companies just fail all the time. Yeah. So to us, it is all about the team. And I think if, you know, for the hundreds of business owners that I've talked to and CEOs and just, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, most business owners, if they're honest, you know, it's almost always a team issue. It's a, it's a people issue, right? Almost every time. So that's kind of why we start with team. And one of the things, just one of the kind of first lessons that we talk about, and, it, and it's, it's a pretty important theme right now because lots of companies are having problems hiring people, right? This is, this is a, the war for talent has probably never been tougher than it is right now. So I'll give you a couple of kind of tips that we would go through in the methodology. The first is a lot of, a lot of advisors will talk about creating these avatars for your ideal customer, right? Who is your dream customer? And really describe them and the psychographics and the demographics and the sick code and right, all this kind of stuff. Nobody does this for employees. So this is one of the things we talk about in this maturity cycle, right? Spend some time thinking about what an ideal employee is like, okay? What are those core competencies that apply across all roles. And and we focus on seven very specific core competencies that Google and all of the best, you know, highest performing organizations have found that if you measure for these seven competencies across whatever role it is, right, that serves as the foundation for A, cultural fit, and B, these are just the fundamentals you have to have. You know, grit being one of them, for instance, you know, this resilience and grit. And as a smaller company trying to grow, you you need folks who are okay with ambiguity, right? And just figuring it out. And so there's these seven traits that we tell every every one of our clients to look for for, through every person, regardless of the role. And then you kind of add on the competencies you need for a specific role. So that's one example. And then once you get the team right, that team, depending on where you are in the maturity of the company, it sets the culture. So either you need to figure out what is your culture, right? What are what are truly the values that are important to you as a business owner and as a company and make sure you hire people for that cultural fit. Or if you're an established company, you know, you know, or you're starting out, then those first 10 people, six people in the company, they 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 create the culture and you're not going to get the chance to do it again right. unless you fire everybody, right? Yeah. And so there's this big lever point between, you know, the team you hire and the culture that you create, they provide then leverage for how you treat customers, right? And so all of these things kind of lever each other. And so if you've got this, if you've got this employee population that is maniacal about customer focus and serving clients, right, first and foremost, and some of these things tend to take care of themselves, right? So I had a software development company and Software engineers are pretty, they're a pretty interesting group of people <laughs> and they like intellectual curiosity and they like solving the technical problems, right? And you've got kind of two camps of software engineers. You have ones who just are kind of internally focused. It's about the intellectual stimulation. 
you have other ones who, who they just in their mindset are like, if this doesn't serve the customer, like if this isn't a better experience and it doesn't solve some problem, then it doesn't matter. Like why develop it? Right. And you, that it's one of these traits where you can't, they're either kind of wired that way or you're not. So again, all these things kind of, you know, lever each other. Right. So that, that, that's kind of the first example. So very interesting. I think what you're saying, I, I'm a very, very strong believer in that, right? That your team will make or break your company. And if you have the right team, even if you have the wrong strategy, you can pivot, you can make changes, people will adapt. You have the right culture in the team. People will know how to deal with uncertainties. They will support each other. They will learn. They will teach each other. So I agree with you 100%. Exactly. And you started going from there to customers. Yep. So what's what are the key things on the customer aspect of the Catapult uh, method? Yeah. So, well, and again, there's, you know, there's a lot of depth behind all this. So we'll just talk about a couple of the items. So, you know, we talk about the idea of a dream customer and, you know, who is your ideal customer, right? <clears throat> and I think directly related to that is a lot of business owners, particularly if they're struggling, they see all kinds of opportunities that they want to chase, right? Revenue sure. opportunities. And particularly, you know, if you're much earlier in your maturity of your business, then, you know, you just got to get revenue in, right? And, and what we found over time, and my personal experience is you end up chasing stuff that is not core to the business, either core to your culture, you know, it's not profitable or whatever. And so getting very specific about what kind of business do you want to pursue? And, and even in the B2C space, right? You know, it could be you've got this great coffee shop or whatever, some service in a particular uh, geography, and you want to expand into the next geography, really, you know, thinking about are the demographics and the psychographics the same for this next geography you want to go to, right? Because it changes your business potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And being very clear about that. And I'll, 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 you know, give you a very kind of personal example. So I sold one of my consulting businesses to KPMG and early on in the business, we were about two years old and had about a dozen people or so. And we had a prospect basically reach out and say, you know, you guys are the best at doing this one particular thing that we were doing. We would like to do business with you. And we'd like you to bid on this contract that is worth about three to $5 million a year. Right. So as an early young business, we're like pretty damn good deal. Right. And it yeah. would have been three, four year contract. And prior to that, we had written, my co-founder and I had written this manifesto that we said, this is what the company stands for, right? And these are the kind of employees we want to hire. And this is the kind of client we want to have and track to us. And it wasn't really, it didn't fit kind of with that culture, but it's this huge revenue opportunity, right? So we thought long and hard about it. And to make a long story short, we ended up declining doing business with this company. And we know we, we would have won the business. And they basically said, the business is yours if you guys bid on this. And the reason we did is the they had kind of an industry reputation of basically treating suppliers like crap. And, you know, we had a dozen people that we really cared deeply about. And we knew if we kind of put them on this project and this account, or even, even hiring other people, they were going to be treated like crap. And then they're going to look at us as business owners and say, you know, what are you guys doing to us? Right. It's, it's very different than anything we had done before. So it was a very difficult, very, very difficult thing to turn that down. And I spent lots of sleepless nights just saying, man, man this, this is kind of crazy. This is stupid. Should we do this? But it sent a very loud message to the employees that we were going to stick to our word. And, you know, and, and it, 
it, it just paid off kind of in, in spades down the road. And I've got lots and lots of stories about that, about just sticking to your knitting, not going outside, you know, too drawing, you know, painting outside the lines too much. Uh, because when you do and you just attract clients that either are a good fit or in services that maybe you aren't competent or products that you're not super good at, right? It just, it's distracting. So I want to touch on three points that I were so aligned in the way we think about business that I think it's important people kind of like the, the essence of what you're saying. Number one, which is again, going back to the core values of our business, my business as well is pursue of happiness right? It's literally a core value. It's the first core value of, of our business. And it's something we read every week when we go over stuff, which is you want, at the end of the day, we find happiness in service. We find happiness in fulfillment. We find happiness in, in, in helping other people. We don't find happiness by making more money. It's just right. not the way it works. Yep. And if you go in that mindset into things with the second value that we have, which is playing the long game, like, okay, so we're going to make less money in year one but we're going to be A, happier, and B, probably make more money in year five than we would have if we start sticking to one-off contracts that really pull us to different directions versus the direction that strategically this company needs to go based on the team that you've created. So I really, really love the mindset and, and the way you've defined it. The, the last aspect of this that I, that I think is, is critical is sharing with the team right? You, you didn't say that, but it was pretty obvious from what you said that, that your team was involved in yep. the process, right? They knew this was happening. They knew you're turning down a lot of money. They knew why, which again, gets the buy-in and, and the long-term camaraderie of the team, which again, I find absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, so this is step two, right? You know, the, the culture and customers and what to bring in and what to turn down. Yep. Let's talk about well, either strategic execution or capital, which one comes first in your order? Capital comes first. Okay. At, some, at some point, you need cash to run the business, right? And so, sure. so in terms of, talk about these maturity cycles. So within the concept of capital, the maturity cycle is, first of all, get your arms around your cash flow, right? Number one, it's critical. And it's kind of a common sense thing, but we have a very specific methodology to help businesses go through how they manage their cash flow to free up enough to invest in growth, right? And that's that's kind of step number one. And so once we get that resolved and, and companies are maximizing and optimizing the cash flow that's coming from the business, and there's all kinds of things in there. There's we talk about pricing, right? Most companies underprice their services and their product offerings. So we've got modules to talk about this concept of value-based pricing and how you differentiate the business. And, and when we talk about the customer segment and customer acquisition. We spend a lot of time about what we call lighthouse positioning, which is how do you really differentiate the business in the minds of customers, right? And do that in a way then, and, and market it from a marketing perspective, then creating a set of buying criteria where you essentially are the only choice, right? And then that leads into, again, higher profits, right? More cash flow and this kind of stuff. So the part of the maturity cycle on the capital piece is getting cash flow to where you're you can afford the growth. Then you're in a position to then go get external financing if you want to use that to grow. And there's there's more ways to raise capital now than there ever has been in the last 20 years. And so we've got a lot of information and insights and, and experience. And I've I've you know I've raised venture capital, I've done crowdfunding. I have done, you know, traditional bank debt, you know, convertible debt, like any other kind of form of financing you can think of, we've done it. 
And so there's lots of ways then to do it. And then getting to the point where you essentially can treat the business almost as a financial asset, right? And so if you want to kind of move to this, I don't want an exit, but I want to be the chairman, right? And I, I want to hire a full-time CEO. You treat this as a financial asset and you can go acquire other companies. You can go invest in other things, right? You, you've got lots and lots of options. So that's part of this maturity cycle is manage your cash properly, optimize it, get more cash flow to grow, get external financing if you need it. And then it get to the point where then you can either reinvest the profits or you harvest some of the profits and then you go do some other things, right? So that's all part of the capital cycle. Love it. Two points I want to I wanna touch on. One yep. is I've done a really, really fascinating interview with a girl called Toot Shani. She is the CEO and the founder of a very large Israeli ecosystem for startups. And I've done actually several episodes with her. One of them is about raising capital. And so if anybody who's listening wants to hear about all the things that Pete was talking about in depth, it's one episode that literally goes step-by-step on the history of capital and kind of like how it happened and all the different methods that exist today. And I agree with you. Yes, there's more ways to raise capital today than probably ever. And there's more money out there going into these kind of things today than probably ever. So good time to raise money. Uh, Second point that I think is, is critical is how do you manage the money that you get, right? So it's a big, big part of what you're talking about is how to view the business as an asset versus how to use a business as a workplace. That's right. So when you start a business, and, and again, I said that people have been listening to me for a while, heard this several times. I don't care if your business is mowing lawn, right? You go from house to house with a lawnmower and you kind of mow the lawn. If you think yourself as like, okay, I, that's what I do. I cut grass. You will always cut grass. If you think of yourself, I'm the CEO of the Florida grass cutting company, I will start to put in place systems, processes, mindsets, capitals that will over time allow me to hire people to cut grass, to manage the cash flow, to do the marketing. And in the end of it, two things happen. A, I can choose to cut grass if I want to, but I don't have to do that. And B, I can actually exit the business because otherwise you are the business. There is nothing to sell. Because if you're involved in so many things in the business, nobody will buy the business because they're buying you and you don't want to be in the business anymore. So it does two things, right? It creates that financial freedom, but it also creates the ability to leave whenever you want to leave, which otherwise just doesn't exist. So again, phenomenal points. I absolutely love this. Last point. And it's, oh, and it's funny, funny that you brought that example. My nephew did exactly that. Started out a lawn, you know, landscaping business. He was mowing lawns and I helped him build it to the point where he sold a business. He sold a book of business and he's working because he wants to work, not because he has to work. And he literally bought a house by selling the business. I paid cash for it. So yeah, hundred percent. Totally. Love it. Strategic execution. So yep. how does that combine into everything? So this is a really interesting one. And so, you know, if you people study Rockefeller habits, he talks about execution. And we very specifically say strategic execution because what you work on matters and what you don't work on matters, right? And we all have 24 hours in a day. And from what the individual business owner works on to what the business works on and focuses on either accelerates growth or takes away from it, right? And so we're very, we have 
lots of insights about, you know, what, what are you really great at, right? And those are the things that you double down on and, and you work on. And if you're not great at it, you outsource it, right? And going through that and putting the controls in place and the process in place. So that's all, you know, that's all kind of a part of it. That's definitely my background for 25 years is business processes with SAP and this kind of stuff. But not all things are equal in importance, right? And from a process perspective. And so do you want to be great at customer acquisition and marketing? Do you want to be great at, you know, serving customers and onboarding and, and customer loyalty? Do you want to be great at hiring people? Like, you know, you, you come up with a couple of things that you really want to be great at and you double down on those things. And then you figure out a way to either, you know, do they just, do you just need to be average kind of and just kind of get it done or do you just completely outsource that function? Right. And so, so we, we very specifically call it strategic execution because we go through this process of, all right, let's get a handle on what you're doing as a business. What should you automate? What should you outsource? What can you then potentially make a service offering? There was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, there was this very cool analysis done on Amazon as a business, right? And what was probably one of the most brilliant things that Jeff Bezos did was they took essentially line items on the income statement and they made a business out of them. So Amazon Web Services right, came from the fact that they had all this computing power and they're like, how can we take that cost center and turn it into a profit center? And virtually everything they've done. And so if you look at, you know, allocation of capital and the, and the utilization of capital, there's probably nobody better than Amazon, better than even Berkshire Hathaway, truly, from that perspective. And so if you kind of think in terms of that mindset and think about all the stuff that's kind of going on, right? Should you should you hire a full-time controller or should you just outsource it to, you know, an accounting firm? Should you and and then putting the controls in place and having this and so when it goes back to then team, right? Team to us is not just individual employees, it's your network of of providers and partners, right? That's the team and that's the beautiful thing about the world today is that literally kind of the world now can be your team, right? And, and the, all these freelance sites like Upwork and whatever. And so you can create this very agile, flexible, cost-effective team, with finger quotes, to grow a lot faster. And you don't just have to keep hiring people and, and, you know, and all the stuff that goes with that. And so the strategic execution kind of ties back to team. It ties back to, you know, the people thing, the cost, the cash flow, all this stuff, again, kind of fits together really nicely. I love it. I, I really, really do. I, I think there's so much value in everything that you're saying and how you tie everything together. And, you know, a, a few books come to mind and you mentioned one, right? Uh, Good to Great, which is an amazing book. Yep. Uh, a few others that connect very well to some of the points you're saying. One is uh, Pursuit of Delivering Happiness yep. by Tony Shea from Zappos. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal book that, that talks yep. about, yeah, that talks about, again, creating happiness within your company that then really projects to everybody in your ecosystem, which becomes what you're saying, your bigger team. Right. And then the second thing, the, the other book is, which talks about, you know, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you create your own category and how different is better than better? <laughs> it's not a better yeah. than you. I'm just different than you. Right. And then if you want the different, then there's only one choice. So again, I really, really love how you tied all of this together. I want to ask you kind of like a follow-up question, because when we spoke in our initial conversation, you said something about you were able to help multiple companies double their valuation in 12 months, yep. which is mind-blowing to me. 
what are the biggest levers that a business can pull in order to increase valuation specifically? Yeah, if you look at the eight core drivers of value, uh, we won't go through all all eight of them, but there's a couple of them that are probably most important to a buyer, okay? Number one is growth. What is your growth rate, right? And a, a very common theme that it's hard for a business owner to kind of get in their head that's really important is an acquirer is paying for your future, not your past, right? They only care about your history as a company insofar as it's going to help them grow and get a return on their investment. So from that perspective, if you've got this trajectory, this growth trajectory, right, and they see this consistent growth in revenue and profits, you're in a great position then to ask for the maximum valuation for your business. And it's not to say that if you're not growing, you can't get that or, you know, whatever. There's lots of other components that go into the valuation of a company, but growth is probably one of the most important. And that's why I said at the beginning of this show that the tie kind of between talking about growth strategy and growth plans and exit kind of there's a there's a big kind of tie over there so that's one of them the second quick, piece quick question it, about so there's a very delicate balance right because in the beginning you said something which i agree with a lot which is you want to free cash in order to reinvest it in the business so you can grow yep in most cases that means that you're actually lowering your profit right because you're taking some of the cash flow putting it back into the business in order to grow it you're investing capital in growth do you tweak that ratio if you're planning to sell the business? Meaning, will you invest less, reinvest less in order to show higher margins? Like what's the kind of like the right mix of that when you, if you have the will to sell the business in the near future? Yeah, it's a big topic. There's no really easy answer. And, and I, it doesn't mean reinvesting in the business means you're making less money. It means you're generating more cash. Okay, big difference. There's a difference between cash flow and profits. Perfect example is Dell Computer, right? I'll just tell a real kind of funny story. So, so Vern Harnish, who runs Rockefeller Habits and also started EO, also had something called Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs. It's just a funny side story. And so I start, I was the president of the chapter of my college because I had started I started my leasing company, right? So the deal was you had to have a company while you're still in college. So they had this conference. This is way back when. And DC. And so I go to this conference and I meet this guy and he's got these kind of black horn rim glasses. He looks very nerdy, right? And he comes up and I'm talking to him. I said, so what do you do? And he said, I, I go to University of Texas in Austin. He goes, I've been making computers out of my dorm room. I'm chatting with him for a little bit, right? And he walks away and I told my buddy, I'm like, this, this guy's a loser, right? These guys going to be out of business in a year. So it was Michael Dell. Okay. <laughs> and so got that one wrong. So what was brilliant about Dell as a business for many, many years and still is, is there's a notion called a cash conversion cycle. And simply what that means is, you know, how much cash is tied up in the business to, to actually deliver on the good or the service to a customer, right? And so uh, typically across most businesses, it's 35, 45 days. So either you're, you're making payroll you're buying the parts to, to manufacture the product, whatever, until you get the cash from the customer, right? So Dell had what's called a negative cash conversion cycle, right? So they would take your order, they'd have your cash, they wouldn't make your computer until they actually had the order. 
then they're paying their suppliers in 60 days, right? So they literally were a cash machine, a bank machine. So in that regard, they could lose money for forever, but stay afloat because they were generating positive cash. So it's a, it's a really important concept to understand. So back to your question, that's why I dis- distinguish between reinvesting cash in the business to grow is different than necessarily taking a hit of profitability, Right. And you may choose to make some investments that that will have an impact on profits, but it is a little bit different. So now that we've got that cleared up or muddied up, whichever your perspective is, what was the question again? Sorry. You talked about the different points in creating leverage for uh, yeah, the, the, the valuation. valuation. Right, right. Yeah. So, so depending on how your business and your industry is valued, you know, the formal valuation metrics, sometimes it's a multiple of EBITDA, sometimes it's a multiple of revenue. It really kind of depends on what is the, what is the industry standard and what is the narrative that you can tell. So if you're a business, regardless of whether you're B2C, B2B, whatever, where you've got this recurring revenue stream and you can, and you can talk to a potential acquirer and say, look, you know, we generated this much revenue and this much profit this year and consistently over time, it kind of looks like this. And if you buy the business, this is going to continue. And if you apply some investment, then, you know, it can, it can kind of go to this next level, then maybe profits are less, it, it, are less important, right? And it's more focused on kind of the top line revenue and what that consistent revenue stream looks like. So it just, it just kind of depends on what, what that industry metric is. But across all businesses, you know, regardless of, of, you know, how those valuation metrics flush out in an industry, everybody wants to jump on the rocket ship, right? So the faster your growth is, and the more consistent that growth is, you can tell a much better story there. Because again, an acquirer is buying the future, not the past, right? A second thing, and this is a very personal thing from the owner's perspective, and it's not the most important valuation metric, but it's really important when it comes to deal terms. And that is how much of the business, you you hit on this earlier, but how much of the business are you the business, right? Are you the architect where you've put in all the sales processes and the lead engines and all, all this kind of stuff, or are you out being the rainmaker, right? And so we talk about this thing called the owner's trap. And if you are generating all the business, you may be able to sell the business for a good multiple, but guess what? You're going to have a multi-year earnout, right? And that's very standard because again, the buyer is buying the future. And if you're the one generating all the sales, right? They're going to want to make sure that's going to be in place. And a very personal story here is I sold my last consulting firm to KPMG. And about two years before I sold the business, I knew that I knew that I wanted an exit at that point. And so I started putting in place in, in, in the business very specific processes and controls and pulled myself out of all of the rainmaking. <laughs> and it took a while to, you know, to, to have the leadership team step up and start doing all the sales. And there was a lot of training and handholding to do that. But fast forward to kind of the end of going through the deal with KPMG and went through due diligence and you know, this is kind of a nine-month process. And I could tell that the deal kind of got stuck. And so I called up my business sponsor and said, you know, everything seemed to be chugging along. It seems like it's kind of stopped over the last 30 days. What's going on? He said, you know what? I really, I'm not sure. And I said, well, who's making the decision? And he said, the vice chairman. And I said, the vice chairman of KPMG. And he said, yep. And I said, well, give me a meeting and I'll get it unstuck. He's like, you want a meeting with the vice chairman? I said, yep, give me a meeting, (laughs) right? 
So he did. And so I flew to New York and had a meeting with the vice chairman of KPMG and, you know, thinking, you know, trying to go through any, any objection they might've had. I didn't know whether it was price, whether it was terms, kind of what it was. So we started talking and he said, look, Pete, he said, we acquire a lot of companies every year. And he said, we've never acquired a company where the CEO and the business owner, the founder did not go with the deal. Right. He said, Tell me why you know we should do this deal when you're not going with the deal. That gives me a ton of concern. And I said, I get it. And I said, look, you know, you want to make sure that the revenue is going to stay in place, the people are going to stay in place, all this kind of stuff, right? And the clients are going to stay with the firm when we make the transition. And he said, yeah, that's exactly all of that. So I said, if you look at our last book of business from the last 12 months, you know, I know who the companies are we did business with because I was a signatory on the contract, but I can't tell you any individual that was involved in the deal from running the project to, you know, signing the contract or whatever. And I said, so that's kind of point number one. So if, if you're focused, you know, if you're worried about, you know, the, the business continuing the revenue growing, have no fear. The team that you're getting is the team that's working on this. Second piece is I said, look, this is my fourth company. I said, I will not make a good employee. I'm just telling you, like, <laughs> I'm an independent guy. You know, you guys are this very bureaucratic large firm, and I'm just not going to be a good employee. And even if you do hire me, I'm going to charge you so much money, it's actually going to discount the deal. And he's like, I get it. And we got past this deal. And so if I had not, you know, very proactively, strategically started to put those things in place and step away from not all the day-to-day operations, but clearly the, the sales side of it, I would have never been in that position where I could sell for 12 times EBITDA and no earn out, right? Which is pretty unheard of and never done at KPMG. And so that's the sort of second driver of value, right? So if, if a, an acquirer is looking at your business and you're responsible for the majority of the revenue source, it's gonna, they're, they're gonna discount it. And the statistics will say anywhere from 13 to 13, 13 to 30% of the value will go out because you are, you're the, you're the primary rate maker, right? That's the second one. Fascinating and brilliant. And again, I, I obviously agree with what you're saying. I think if you, the more experienced you are, and I think the fact that it was your fourth company makes these things clearer and clearer, right? For That's sure. why you started putting this in place. You're like, I don't want to be involved in anything in the company. I, I want to help make decisions. I want to mentor the people under me. I want to guide the strategic direction, but I don't want to be involved on the day-to-day in anything in the company. And the, and the faster you can do that and the more effective you are in this and going back to putting the right teams in place. Yep. Making sure that they have the right processes and structures and systems and, and so on is what allows you to elevate yourself above the day-to-day, which, like I said, gives you A, freedom, but B, the ability to do what you did, which is, again, really amazing. That's- Pete, this was really fascinating, really, really great, great, great content and advice to any business person out there, definitely entrepreneurs and, and senior executives in companies. I like to ask all my people, and I'm sure you're you'll have a lot of suggestions because we already kind of talked about this before. Favorite apps, books, gizmos, gadgets, tools that you love using or that you would want to recommend to people that can help them be more successful either in their personal life or in their business adventures. I'm a voracious reader. So I've got, there's a couple of books that I, every once in a while, I'll just pull them out and go, gosh, darn, you know, good to great's one of them for sure. I know you're a big fan of play big, play bigger. I like play bigger as well. One that just kind of came up again, I read it probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I've got, a, I'm working with a client right now that's having a difficult time 
really articulating their differentiation. Okay. And this is so important when it comes to setting buying criteria for your business to getting doing business at the price points you want that generates higher profits, more cash flow, happier customers, happier employees, whatever. And it's called sales differentiation. And what I love about the sales differentiation book, um, it's by a guy by the name of Lee Saltz, S-A-L-Z, is it's very um, actionable. So there's there's 19 sales differentiators he talks about. And the one of the key messages is not just how you market differently, it's how you sell differently and how you approach clients. It's got a very B2B focus, but it apply to pretty much any company. And you know, one of the exercises they go through is there's I don't know, 25 or 30 different things that you can distinguish yourself on and differentiate yourself you know, on. And look at your competitors and figure out where you differentiate and create a sales process and a marketing and a lead gen and a customer attraction process around those differentiators and create an area, in, uh, what we call lighthouse positioning, where you then create buying criteria, you influence the buying criteria that favor you. So anyways, that's one of my, it was, it was a book I read a while ago. I kind of re- I reread it and I literally texted my client last night and said, you have to read this book. It's mandatory because it will solve all these things that they're, they're kind of isn't getting in their head. So that's okay. one. Goes on my so, list. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, Again, you know, being an entrepreneur or a business owner is a very lonely place and it's stressful. So I'm a headspace guy. You know, I med- try to meditate 10, 15 minutes a day. And whether it's headspace or any one of the meditation apps that's out there, just taking a little time to kind of step away and, and collect your thoughts and, you know, focus on the things that matter, I think is super important, particularly the last, you know, 18 months has been pretty stressful for a lot of people, right? So out of curiosity, what time of the day do you do this? I do it in the morning. So I, I, I put my day together, as I say, at the night. So I kind of know what the schedule looks like and my, my big to-dos. And then I meditate for 10 minutes in the morning and then kind of re- review that list again and then do it again in the middle of the day. So Fantastic. I'll add one more book that, again, ties a lot of these things together. And again, I know you like Jim Collins. He just came out with Beyond the... Well, not just, but his recent book is Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0. Yep. So he basically took Beyond Entrepreneurship and added a layer on top of it of new things that he learned since then, which is absolutely fascinating and brilliant. And he takes a lot of things from good to great into it. So it's, it's a really, really well done book that is worth reading and rereading and listening to and kind of like thinking about. And it, it really connects a lot of the things we talked about today. So if somebody's interested in another, an, another thing to read, that would be another recommendation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I actually did reread it. I, I, for, I forgot about that one. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I think from a business owner perspective, it it doesn't, I I don't find that it gave you stuff to walk away with and say, this is, these are some tools or some strategic frameworks I can use to really apply to my business. So that's where the Ask My Board stuff kind of picks up from. So if you kind of like these concepts from Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, which is really good, we take it down to the actual execution level, right? Across all those four pillars of power. So, which is a um, Perfect segue. How do people connect with you, follow you, find you if they want to if, if they want to do so? Yeah, so we're on uh, the website is askmyboard.com. Uh, my email is pmartin, p m a r t i n at askmyboard.com and you can just reach out and happy to help in whatever way I can. And you know, my when I was 16 years old, I wrote a personal mission statement. It's kind of a crazy thought, but I was a big fan of Lou Holtz and I knew that he had done that when he was a young young man. 
And, you know, my personal mission state is to help people realize the potential they have within themselves. And so that's what drives me and that's what drives the company. And if we can help any business owner, whether it's paid for in a service or, or not, it's a, it's a lonely place and people just need to know that they've got, you know, somebody's got their back and that's what we do. Fantastic. Pete, this was fascinating and fun. Like you promised in the beginning, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for taking the time and sharing this with us. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Fascinating, right? It's really obvious that Pete has a lot of experience that he brings to the table and his system really helps look at the business from all the right angles in order to analyze what's not working properly. If you found this helpful, I think you would really, really enjoy three other episodes that are very similar on how to look into your business in order to analyze what's broken or what you can accelerate in order to grow it faster. The first one is a very recent episode that I've done with Jerry McNamara. That was episode 98, and it's called A Proven Business Growth Acceleration Framework, shared by a sought-after business coach, Jerry McNamara. It's very similar to this one with different focuses, and I highly recommend you check it out if you want a broader and more complete view on how you can approach such a problem. Another one that you should check out is episode 82, and it's called how to create a scalable business using a proving sales process. It's with Chaz Wolf, who is an absolutely amazing young entrepreneur, very successful in several different industries with multiple businesses. And now he has a coaching business where he teaches what he's learned from the businesses that he's running. And for my third and last recommendation on these kind of topics, you should scroll back all the way to episode 16 of season one, for an episode called Business Growth Guru, Dwayne DeVille reveals his process. Fascinating, fascinating interview with a guy that coaches high-end Fortune 500 CEOs and how he approaches business strategy and business growth. So that's it for this week. And until next time, have an incredible week. Your business growth is my number one priority in this podcast. To do that, I want to bring the biggest names that I can and get you practical tips as frequently as possible. And you can help. Visit Apple Podcasts right now, subscribe, download, rate, and review the podcast, and I would really appreciate it. And if you want my number one tip for business growth acceleration, visit growthaccelerator.biz right now. Oh, yeah.